0: Hello and welcome back to Drift Proofing. This is the podcast to help you find some meaning and direction in your life. Uh, my name is Andrew Cipriano, and as always, I will be your host today. So I am very excited for today's episode. I actually just met my guest about three days ago at a party, ironically enough. His name is Kerry Brochiers, and he is from Indiana. Um, I'm from Michigan. Keep that in mind. So I don't really know what he was doing in Michigan this weekend, but it worked out that we met at this party, and we had an amazingly stimulating conversation, which is not something I typically expect on a Friday night you know, drinking event. So... Anyways, um, he is studying dietetics, which is kind of what you studied to become a dietitian. That was a mouthful. And he is also interested in getting into a doctor of clinical psychology. So he was like the perfect person to me to run into this weekend. Again, we had amazing conversations all weekend, and I just had to have him on the podcast. Um, this is my first podcast where I'm doing a Skype because obviously he's in Indiana. I'm in Michigan. So the sound quality isn't as good as I'd like it to be, and hopefully it'll get better Um, with my future Skype episodes, but keep that in mind. I am trying. I'm getting used to all this technology. Um, And then just a quick disclaimer. We talked about some pretty hot topic items today. Uh, The gay community, the transgender community. I touched a bit on identity politics. I don't know how accurate I am with that description, so cut me some slack. I am still learning. If anything... this episode in particular is offensive to you it's never intended to be um i just like talking about all things that are important to me in life and i'm in the gay community so that's important to me um but it is a hot topic politically especially so that's my disclaimer i never want to offend i am just trying to figure out how the hell we should be acting to maximize our meaning and positive emotion through that in life so um we get pretty psychological we have some little quirky debates on psychology that i thought were pretty interesting and it was just a really enjoyable conversation. So I really hope you guys enjoyed as well. With no further ado, this is me speaking with Carrie Brochiers. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. All right. So, welcome everyone back today. I am very excited to have a special guest on the podcast. His name is Carrie and he's from Indiana. Um, and you guys remember I live in Michigan. So it's kind of exciting to have people from slightly different areas on.
1: Uh, do you want to say hi? Hi, I'm Carrie. I, yes, I am a Hoosier. I'm from Indiana. What's a Hoosier? I've never heard of it. Not going to say I love it. (laughs) That's what they call people from Indiana. So like if you go to Indiana University, they're the Hoosiers. Um, I don't actually know what a Hoosier is. Oh, hold on. Actually, the term Hoosier, I heard that it comes from the way that people in Indiana say, who's your, they go like, who's your dad or something like that. Because okay, I have cousins from Indiana, and they actually
0: have like a strong accent, which is surprising to me because it's a relatively close state to Michigan, where we really don't have like a uh-huh. super southern drawl to us.
1: We have um, two different accents in Indiana. So if you're north of Indianapolis, you don't really have the southern twang. And if you are south of Indianapolis, you probably do slightly. The Dirty right next live south of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I
0: actually met Carrie this weekend um surprisingly at a uh up north trip we took in Michigan one of my friends brought him and we actually hit it off pretty well and he's a lot different than what I was expecting my friend to bring and he's actually into this psychology and more I don't want to say anything rude but like more spiritually awake and wanting to have these deeper conversations about life and not just go surface level you know what shot are we going to take next with a beer bog in our hand um so it was exciting so can you just give us like a quick background about who you are and just like what you're studying and where you are in life right now.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I'm currently 23 and I am studying dietetics at Indiana state university. Uh, my minors are psychology, statistics, and public health. I currently do research in psychology regarding parent child attachment styles. Um, Outside of school, I am a competitive kickboxer. I also teach kickboxing. Um, And yeah, I guess that kind of sums me up on a basic level. I've grown up in Indiana. I've lived here my entire life. Uh, I'm planning to change that in the next couple years once I graduate in May of 2022 uh my aspirations involve going into some type of clinical psych grad program um with hopefully a focus in neuroscience but it is subject to change uh we'll see we'll definitely see
0: okay so why did you initially get into psychology or you're in dietetics right Mm -hmm. okay so what the hell are dietetics because i had to ask you this this weekend
1: (laughs) Okay yeah, so people who are in dietetics are hoping to be a dietitian kind of like uh, anything where you have to be licensed so like psychologist or counselor or a nurse. Um, at the end of your degree, you take a comprehensive exam and if you get a certain score on it, you get to become licensed as a dietitian and basically, it's so hard to sum up what exactly a dietitian does, but a dietitian can prescribe diets to any kind of patient. Like if they're working in a clinical setting, they work with renal patients or diabetic patients or... Um, Even neuro patients, or they'll work on people with cardiac diets and things of that sort. And so, since they're licensed, they're able to prescribe diets and things like that. And they work alongside, at least in a clinical setting, alongside nurses and doctors and PAs and okay. um, medical
0: professionals. So, what is a not clinical setting of that? Can you just go and have your own business where you're just helping people lose weight or like mm-hmm. George Foreman grill yeah. stuff?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so a dietitian will always be a nutritionist where a nutritionist is not a dietitian. Um, right. and so dietitians can also work in a community setting and then they can also work in like a quantity food setting, which is a little less common. Um, but they can work in a community setting. So you'll have like public health dietitians who, those are the ones who are typically more proficient in public health research. So they look at a lot of outcome data, um, or they're really good at analyzing past data. Usually, usually those are the dietitians who are better with Excel and things of that sort. And they do things on a community level. And then if you want to open your own practice, I know of like purely endocrine related dietitians who have their own practice. Um, I, I don't know enough about dietetics practices because I feel like so many dietitians collaborate with other health professionals. So when they have their own practices, it's usually a practice that a dietitian and another health professional opened up and they just kind of collaborate and coincide and refer each other. Okay. And you're getting a
0: master's degree, but it's a four plus one. So just five year master's degree and you won't get a bachelor if you don't complete the whole thing. So it's just all in one program pretty much for (laughs) masters. Correct.
1: Yes, all or nothing.
0: Okay. And then I'm just curious because in psychology, pretty much everyone that I talk to that is in psychology, they have like a reason for it. So, why did you choose Zytex? Did you have like an issue with family or as a kid with self
1: image or like what drew you to doing that and spending five years of your life doing it? (laughs) So, I was always cutting weight for my fights. Um, So, for my fights, I fought at 135, um, and right now I weigh 151, 152, and so usually, like, I was cutting down to 135, and I always knew that I was pretty good at cutting weight, and I always knew how to do it, and I remember even as an older teenager, so, like, 17, 18, 19, 17, 18, helping other fighters cut weight and things like that, so I started out thinking I wanted to do sports dietetics because I really enjoyed physiology metabolism exercise physiology and things like that but I ended up so probably around 19 or 20 uh declaring psych as a minor because I want to say that I took cognition just kind of as a BS class I was like okay whatever and I actually really enjoyed cognition because I remember I took cognition physiology in the same semester and I was seeing a lot of overlap between them and I really liked physiology so they both kind of acted synergistically to increase my love for both and so the right. more I became enticed by psychology the more I realized how foundational it is in dietetics and how so many issues with a lot of patients that we have uh, they're psychologically related. And when you see things like binge eating disorders and all of that, um, like, especially in COVID. So psych was already my minor, but for me to finally make that decision of, okay, yes, I, I would like to go to a psych grad program. I, I think it was kind of right before COVID or right around when COVID started happening. I noticed a lot of my friends and a lot of my family and, um, kind of partaking some maladaptive eating
0: behaviors. Um a question for you. Do you think you noticed that because you're getting further in your school and you're noticing those things? Just like, because I know when people study psychology a lot of times, once they start studying it, then they see those patterns that might've already been there. So it might not have been caused by any recent factors. I'm just curious. I had to put the devil um, on your shoulder. Uh, tsh-
1: no, I, I actually don't think okay. it was because I was learning about it because I can definitely say that there was... A change in some of my friends, um, drinking behaviors and drug use behaviors and their eating behaviors. And I think COVID started to kind of act as the catalyst. Um, and not very many of them have for lack of a better term outgrown that, but okay. I really became fascinated with eating behaviors instead of like, I talked to you, like, Um, different types of intervention and being preventative. And I think that since I do also have a minor in public health and public health really does emphasize preventative measures, I think Mm -hmm. um, confronting somebody's psyche when it comes to certain eating behaviors really does take a preventative approach when it comes to intervention.
0: Okay, cool. And then just for anyone who doesn't know um, two things, one, it's weird to me that you're interested in cognition for correct me if I'm wrong, but it's focused on like, um, attention, where we place our perception, stuff like that. I'm thinking. I'm gonna memory. That's cognition, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting to yeah. me that you like that because that stuff to me is pretty dry. So it wouldn't necessarily draw me to psychology. And then too, most of the time in, I guess, in healthcare anymore, they try to focus on prevention before anything else. Um, yes. Is that that's correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think it's important. To well,
1: well, depending because in the system that we're currently in it is more lucrative to treat somebody after the onset of an illness. (laughs) It's Um, not even lucrative to treat them. It's lucrative to keep them sick for a long time. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. But if you're and that, that's why it's so tough because community dietetics really is interesting. But if you look at it, a community dietitian gets paid a lot less than a clinical dietitian and arguably community dietitians kind of have to be on it a little more. They have to be a lot more creative. Um, I think a community dietitian is more suitable for like a managerial role because their day-to-day changes all the time. And uh, I feel like the community dietitians I've met are a lot more versatile and they have knowledge in so many different areas. Um, cause they are constantly preventing different, uh, dietary disorders and they're constantly attempting to influence dietary behaviors and eating behaviors and things of that sort. And so that's where it's so flawed and so skewed because when you look at the salary of a community dietitian, it's kind of depressing and it really doesn't encourage somebody to go into community dietetics. When I really do think community dietetics is not more important than clinical, but on a larger scale, yeah. it can almost be more important at times.
0: I, I agree. It's similar with social work too. You're going to school for six years, mm-hmm. doing at least a year of practice work, and then you're making what the average is like 40K if you're lucky.
1: Yeah. I yeah. That's husband, about this.
0: Sorry. Yeah. My hospital pays 22 bucks an hour, and then the nurses who go to school for 16 months get 25 starting. So it does discourage you from doing that, which is sad, but yeah, that it is, is really. the current system. So yeah. Okay. So I am just going to really finish uh, quickly. Why would you go into clinical psych? Why wouldn't you just end with the the masters then? Cause you want to make more money or you want to learn because clinical psych, if you go into it, you're going to learn about schizophrenia and psychosis and um, you're going to learn about eating disorders and all these different umbrellas of everything. So how is that going to tie in or are you totally changing directions? Cause that's a big jump in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So even though in dietetics, you are always learning. Um, even as a professional, you are consistently and constantly learning. Um, you don't have the power as a dietitian to adjust somebody's eating behaviors. You have that power as a clinical psychologist to do so. And so I, would,
0: I would assume that's exactly what you have the power to do as a dietitian. And so what can you do then? Uh, <sighs> Look, I agree with you that eating,
1: it goes right hand with psych. But yes. So, and I like, I remember sitting through my nutrition intervention class and just thinking we are not given the skills as dietitians to actually elicit real change in somebody's eating behaviors. And as a dietitian, since it is so practitioner based, you're also not a proficient researcher. And guess what? In clinical psych, it is so balanced between researcher and practitioner, depending on the program. Like if you go to more R1 universities, they're going to kind of push you more the researcher route instead Mm -hmm. of a practitioner. But a lot of universities and just the psych model is typically research practitioner. And being able to be, one, hold a PhD in clinical psychology and be a proficient researcher and practitioner, well, you can pretty much solve the problems that you see on a day-to-day basis in, I guess, a clinical dietetic setting by being a clinical psychologist. Um, I think that if you want, they both emphasize each other and they do act as, once again, synergists for each other.
0: Okay. I can agree with that. I'm just curious because for anyone who doesn't know, six years is pretty much so the minimum after, well, you'll have a master's, so it might be a little different, but after you get your four-year undergrad, you have to do a six-year mm-hmm. program with clinical psych. It's very, very competitive, and a lot of people don't want to learn about the research, but you can also do a PsyD, but it's not funded if you get a PsyD, so um, <laughs> really, though, I mean, if you're going to go to a doctor's degree, it's possibly funded just because you have to do more research. Who would be silly enough to pay for a uh, six years of higher education if they didn't have to? Yeah, So I was curious, it's interesting to me that you're doing dietetics and that led you to clinical psych. It's, Mm -hmm. I almost feel like the opposite is normally true where somebody goes into clinical psych and then they pick a specialty, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep you posted on the doctorate and stuff. I was thinking about doing a doctorate, but, um, -hmm. I just want to be called doctor. So (laughs) 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 it's kidding. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. So you want to get like an ego doctorate? Right, right. Um, I
0: I should just go into philosophy at that point. I think it's three years and a lot cheaper and easier yeah. so
1: <laughs> okay so
0: I want to talk to you more about some certain talking points that I think are very interesting um that we were kind of I don't know if we were torn on them the other day but I definitely yeah. want to talk to you about it see where where we can I don't know have a good conversation so you said yeah. something about being outcome dependent and you said that a lot and it drew my attention I've never really I heard have. this before and could you explain what that means or like
1: what that means to you go ahead <laughs> okay um So outcome dependency, and I want to make a distinction between outcome dependency and hope, because I think hope is very powerful and I think hope can drive people, but, um, so really being outcome dependent is being stuck in, it's almost like ruminating in a sense. So it's being stuck on one specific outcome and, not being open to deviation and basically closing your mind off to one specific outcome. Um, And so what? like, I guess ask me what you wanna know about outcome dependence or my thoughts on it, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we were talking about, I don't know what it was, relationships maybe, or might have Mm -hmm. been your schooling too. And you said, I'm not outcome dependent. And I'm like, I've never heard that before. Um, It almost sounded to me and I've interpreted this wrong, I guess, that you didn't want to plan out your goals or you didn't want to define when you failed at something. That's why I'm pessimistic about that.
1: Okay. So overall, I feel like I've kind of created this moral code for myself, like this very vague moral code of like, what does happiness look like to me? Okay. Well, happiness for me looks like treating others well, Um, giving more than I'm taking, uh, constantly learning and growing. And so if I am accomplishing those three things, then I feel like I am always becoming a better person. So that is my angle to just be a better person because I'm not going to let certain things define me, such as how fast I can run a mile or if I get a doctorate or not. Um, Because if I'm accomplishing those three things, and becoming a better person, then I, I can sleep well at night. I, because at the end of the day, I have to sleep by myself at the end of the night, all the time. And I can lie down and be like, okay, you know what? I'm still becoming a better person. That is enough for me to sleep well. Um, but with outcome dependence, it's like, yes, I, I have these goals that I want to accomplish. So, in okay, in 10 years, yes, I would like to have a PhD in clinical psychology, um, oh gosh, 10 years from now. So I'll be 33. Uh, I would like to, I don't want to be settled down at 33. I don't want to be settled down, but I would like to start arranging the base for that to happen. Um, I want to be a little more definitive on where I would like to live at that point. Um, and then thinking about, because I, maybe unpopular opinion because no one seems to want kids these days i would actually like to obtain a child somehow so that that's more before the age of 40 um that was the most
0: scientific way i've
1: ever heard of someone having a kid <laughs> obtaining well as a gay, to what, what am i what am i gonna do just right, like you got well, some actually
0: bathrooms. switch to the cop or you adopt uh
1: well you know what i was at walmart today and oh, it was don't the lead weirdest into a kid's thing. story at Walmart. <laughs> no, they had all these free kids and metal cages on wheels. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, which one do I pick? But they're, they're kind of heavy. So I didn't pick any of them.
0: And they probably weren't foreign enough. I want a foreigner. I really, I want to look at totally
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. walking through the desert with four kids in my arms. Well, you know what? I'll get you expedited back to shame. Thank shame. you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said shame, but. I have no shame for stealing a child out of one of those metal pages. My only
0: question, my only concern with outcome dependence is it seems like it's a term Mm -hmm. that could very easily become bastardized into Mm -hmm. not taking responsibility. So I think it has to be defined. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not outcome dependent. I'm just going to live my, this whole, the whole reason I'm making this podcast is because I see people who in my definition are not outcome dependent and that for them is an excuse not to have to plan anything. And then there's expecting the things they want to mm-hmm. just come to them in life without any planning or forward
1: movement. Okay, so okay, well then let's break it down to a common problem. So yeah. people who experience outcome dependence in relationships, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so are you just saying lower okay. your
0: expectations potentially?
1: No, I'm not. Um, I'm just saying don't have your heart set on one outcome. So for example, um, when you look at, people who, okay, a crush, for example, a crush Mm. is so, it's something because a crush really is a projection of idealism. All right. So it's like, if I have, all right. So you, for example, Andrew, I had a crush on you. um, I would put you on this pedestal and I'd be projecting what I ideally would like for you to be. And with that comes outcome dependence because if I'm Sorry. Well, because look at it this way. If I'm crushing on you, if I'm like majorly crushing on you, then my goal is for us to be in a relationship and this and that. But you know what? If I'm super outcome dependent, then I am closing off the other possibilities of one, maybe gaining a really good friendship or two, learning really cool things from you because I am so focused and so gung ho on this outcome of us being in a relationship that I'm missing other really good opportunities that could also come along okay so to remove the outcome dependence of that it's like all right i'll start from the base up cool i really like andrew i really enjoy andrew as a person okay awesome we could be awesome friends could a relationship happen okay yeah it could but i'm not pressing that and so by not pressing that I'm not closing my mind off and I'm going with the flow and I'm being dynamic.
0: See, this is where my problem lies is by not pressing mm-hmm. a goal on what you want, clearly defining it and going for it, you might be missing the opportunity of dating someone that you like because you never had the clearly defined goal to go for it because you didn't want. I mean, it just to me sounds like you're not defining what you want and therefore you don't have to define when you fail
1: at it. I mean, I mm-hmm. could be wrong.
0: I just think that it could yeah. be such such a misused term and a bastardization into like woke culture where I'm not mm-hmm. I'm independent and you float through life like, an, like a dumb asshole at 28 years old and you're not, nothing. you're doing that, but yeah. you're clearly totally more um, put together than most people, especially at 23 in my opinion that I've seen. And I could see that being a very dangerous ideology for a lot of people.
1: I will say something. Okay, so yeah, I guess back to the dating thing, something that I have found uh, like as of late when it comes to dating is that Kind of like you said, me not being too outcome dependent, kind of, it can rub some people the wrong way. Like when they ask specifically, like, what's your goal of dating? And I, like my flat out answer is, I don't know, um, maybe start with friendship. Uh, and I, I don't know if maybe they don't understand it or maybe, I could be in the wrong. So I do have to make sure that my intentions with somebody are clear when it comes to that. Um, Since I, I'm not pushing the outcome of a relationship. I'm not opposed to the possibility of it, but just being very upfront with where I stand when uh, whoever asks, Um, because I feel like as long as I'm honest, when they ask and as long as I'm not sending mixed signals and things of that sort, then I think it's totally appropriate and as long as i'm not as long as it's not detrimental to somebody else either like because i don't want to be causing somebody misery by not being definitive
0: okay and that's all i'm not trying to push you into a corner i'm genuinely curious yeah. about yeah you- well
1: and that that plays that goes in hand with being mindful like yeah okay maybe i don't want to be outcome dependent and set something in stone but at the same time there's a balance like you you still have to yes like you because like okay in all honesty I couldn't be with somebody who can't make a plan you know like you can be non-outcome dependent and still be on your shit and making plans and things of that sort but being dynamic enough to the point where you're not going to allow it to emotionally affect you or define you if what you hope for doesn't get accomplished. You know, like the only thing you can really control is one, how you react to things and two, how hard you try, you know, like when it comes to my goals, I'm not going to be happy if I don't reach a goal, but it's not going to crush me. If I did not try my very best when trying to accomplish a goal. Yeah. I'll be pissed at myself because it's like, well, I could have tried better, but that's all I can ask of myself. All I can ask of myself is that I'm honest. I try my absolute best. And if I don't fall short in any of those, then all right, no harm, no foul. I'm still a better person because I tried my best at whatever I was trying to achieve.
0: Okay. And I'm still fuzzy, but I think I get it more. And I understand. I just, you're, you're more uh, advanced than most people, I think, especially in psychological setting and mindset. So it makes sense that you could (laughs) go with that and it wouldn't be come something that's, you know, going to set you back. Um, yeah, I can see how it would be. So I have a question. I, first of all, I love that you gave me a list of things to talk about. So I know <laughs> literally, I'm like, this is the perfect person to invite on the podcast. And you sent me this list. I'm like, yep. Listen to my intuition. Um, so um, you want to talk about one of your talking points was accountability and says not being a victim of the past. Um, mm-hmm. I have a quick question. I kind of want to relate it back to dietetics. Did this come wow. from your beliefs on eating or like, where did this come from the clinical psych part of you or the dietitian part of you? That's interesting to me. Because they connect, in my opinion, but I'm curious where it's from.
1: Clinical psych and probably sexuality, honestly.
0: Okay. So can you kind of explain then your story with that and, and how you've managed to not become a collection of your past victimization?
1: Yeah. So, it, honestly, so it started with the onset of, COVID when I was kind of having to be back with family again, which I hadn't had to be in years. And there were definitely things. Were you out? I was out. Yeah.
0: How old were you when you came out set of
1: curiosity? 18. I just turned 18. Okay. So this was out for a while then you had to go back to. Okay. Okay. But during COVID I had entered my first relationship and for some parents can accept it when you come out but it's very different when they actually have to see you with a significant other um yeah it is and so that did cause a little bit of tumultuosity and you guys
0: just walk in the
1: door naked together (laughs) no well no 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 no, no. they're like they were just being Um, so
0: unfair you're both naked we walked in
1: Right. I actually got a voicemail from a family member calling me a faggot. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh my God. That's so passive. Yeah. Right? So like, why not just say your face? Right. I was like, all right. But there were so many things that I guess I kind of suppressed in a sense. And then also, because I'd always told myself, I'm like, you know what? If I got into a relationship, I wouldn't bring my significant other around certain family members out of respect for them. But guess what? I changed my perspective on that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how is me spreading love, disrespecting anybody? It's not. Um, I I was, I was allowing so many people to write my story for me and what I valued and uh, to affect my mood. These people who, did not have the emotional maturity I had who did not put work into growing as people who really just tore others down to make themselves feel better. And I really just kind of got to the point of like, you know what? No, I, I can only control how I react. I can't control how others act. And so with a lot of family members being kind of, hateful toward me i remember i was just kind of like running away from my problems for a hot second until there were these two kind of hell okay so in a fight there are two kinds of hell knows that go through your head if you ever get knocked out in a fight your next fight back when you're getting punched you either think oh hell no this can't be happening again i i, I don't want to get knocked out Or you're thinking, oh, hell no, this is not about to happen. And so I hope everybody chooses the latter in every situation. Because guess what? I could have sat and been like, you know what? I'm going to be a victim of my circumstances and let other people write my life for me and sit and feel bad for myself because certain family members are calling me a faggot. Or I could sit and say, you know what? Fuck that. Hell no, that's not about to happen. So I changed my outlook. I was like, guess what? I am going to always foster an environment for those around me to grow and to become better people, but I'm not going to condone their shitty actions because I was definitely in an enmeshed family where it was like loyalty. And I, ju- I do feel like that's just an older mentality too. Loyalty is so important and loyalty is supporting me all the time and supporting all my actions. And so I also ended up redefining the way I see, or the way that I view loyalty here. So at least in my family, this is, and I honestly think I've kind of changed their view on loyalty as well. I'm sure. Um, When it comes to loyalty, I tell my family this, I am loyal to you in the sense of I'm loyal to your growth and your betterment as a person. I am not loyal to your shitty actions. So I ask myself, I'm like, am I loyal to people or am I just loyal to growth? And honestly, I'm loyal to growth. Um, and I consider that being loyal to someone. If I'm loyal to them being the best version of themselves and I am passively providing an environment for that to happen, then I view that as loyalty. Because if one of my friends were constantly condoning my shitty actions and being my yes man, they don't really want what's best for me. You know, at that point, I mean, they want the companionship and they want to be my friend, but they they don't want what's best for me. And so now I'm kind of at this point where not only do I hold myself accountable, but I hold others accountable as well at an arm's length. And it's like, I'm going to do all in my power to provide an environment for them to grow. They can choose to partake in that or not. I can't really do anything after that. And that also ties into the outcome dependence. So if I provide an environment for my friends to be the best versions of themselves, um, and emphasis on passively, Uh, just by being the best version of yourself, you are passively pushing other people to be the best versions of themselves. But by me passively doing that, I'm not dependent on them being the best version.
0: Yeah. So, um, especially with family, it's hard. There's, always family members and friends in your life who aren't ready to grow and you see this mm-hmm. in any area of your life um yeah what, what do you do when they just do you just stop spending time with them if they're not facilitating their own or your growth like what's the answer mm-hmm. in your opinion that's the correct thing to do
1: um if they are not aiding in your growth and i And yeah, it's not this black and white, but if they really are not aiding in your growth, because typically people who are not growing aren't going to be aiding in your growth, you know what I mean? They're not going to be providing new things for you to learn from. Then your relationship with them has peaked. And I think you have to ask yourself, well, at this point, are they becoming a detriment to me? Are they taking away from my growth is it almost like babysitting to keep up with them mm-hmm. and if That's- it is then they don't hold a place in your life um yeah i'm and just you curious know what? yeah well and you know what like like full disclosure um only relationship i've been in that ended up being the issue like a lot of people looked at it and were like well you know what like you guys don't fight a lot like nothing seems to be wrong but it's like this person isn't growing themselves and will make every excuse to not grow and won't push themselves. And I end up feeling shitty for it. And yeah. it's just like it—it it really just depends when you're willing to stop trying with that person when sure. it's draining you to try to help that person grow because it's not our job to actively help somebody grow.
0: Right. I mean, there's relationships in everyone's life like that. I was just curious what your definition yeah. of the cutoff point yeah. was um yeah yeah i'm just thinking i mean you're supposed to hang out with people who are going to make you a better person right so but like mm-hmm. what about we can go on to the next topic i wasn't asking no. about family again but you can no because you said it wasn't black and white so i don't think you would just no. be cold-blooded and be like screw everyone <laughs> okay Give me one second. I can cut this out. You were making me think. Um, Okay. So I just want to finish up on victim of being a victim of your past. So I see this all the time, actually. And I think it's a huge reason that people get depressed and suicidal and they, it's such a fixed mindset and a victim mindset. And I hate it. Um, People will come in and you know, they've been victimized their whole lives and that's their mindset and they don't want to take responsibility for their life. So what is something that you would recommend that they can do to get over that? Just like a quick, like, how did you get over being a victim or feeling like a victim for being in the family that you were born into?
1: Um, okay. So I guess the answer, it's like, how do you stop yourself from ruminating? Just playing these thoughts in your head all the time and uh, easier said than done, but focusing on yourself. So recognizing what your passions are, like what your actually intrinsically passionate about, not, oh, well, all my friends are really into volleyball, so I should be really good at volleyball, or all my friends are really good at making art, so I should be good at art. No, like, what are things that you are passionate about? Because at the end of the day, passion is really all you have. If you had nobody else around you, if you're forced Mm -hmm. to sit in a room with yourself for a whole week, well, all you have is what you're passionate about. So this is the hard sorry
0: this is the hard part too for me is mm-hmm. that telling someone to do what they're passionate about is an absolutely overwhelming statement for a lot of people so yeah how do you so actually I, pick something that you enjoy to
1: do uh, okay i know so, it's hard right yeah yeah because it's not it is such a convoluted question so okay I, if I were to give advice to anybody, I would just have them write down and identify three things that they really like and are really passionate about, like things that they spend time looking up online in their free time. You know what I mean? I feel like that's very indicative of what somebody is passionate about. And the first thing they do when they wake up, they should focus on that passion. They should, because your passion will stimulate you. All right. Um, And you and I talked about this. People overstimulate themselves all the time. They will wake up and they will sit on their phone and sit on social media, and then they'll start comparing themselves to other people. And it's just not healthy. So I feel like the morning sets the tone for your day. So the first thing you do when you wake up, if you do something or research something or aid in something that you are passionate about, then you're already starting the day off to a good start. You're not overstimulating yourself. You're stimulating yourself in a healthy way. And you're growing in something that you are passionate about. I think first and foremost, that's that is important for people. I think when they wake up. Um, so like, give me an example. Do you do that
0: with your classes or what do you do that follows those lines? And how do you know that you're actually interested in it? Right. It's so, so. Sorry, it's just so hard for people to define what they're interested in. I know it seems like it would be innate and obvious, but it isn't. And I think people mm-hmm. get overwhelmed and then do nothing. And that's where the problems start happening.
1: Okay, so I'm passionate about kickboxing. So three times a week I have morning practices. So when I start my morning off like that, end up leaving practice. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, I just did this this mm-hmm. morning. I just got something out of the way, but on the mornings that I don't have that. So typically I, so I have the RD exam in a year, every single morning when I'm not having practice, first thing I do is open up the book and study it because even if I'm not super passionate about the material I'm learning, I know in my head, while well, I'm still learning something. And that's better than just sitting on my phone and doing nothing, or that's yeah. better than just sitting and watching TV and doing something mindless. I'm waking up and I'm actively engaging my mind. And I feel like And I do that while I drink my coffee in the morning, I'm like, all right, like this is powerful. This feels really powerful knowing that I'm doing something better for myself mm-hmm. and I'm going to be better at the end of the night. That, like when I go to bed at the end of the night, I know that I'm going to be better because I've, I've at least learned something. I'm not stagnant. I'm not just staying stuck. Yeah. Um, So you're,
0: you're pretty conscientious. I know you got 77 out of hundred on the big five. (laughs) No, but that's what that is. You know, um, a lot of people just don't have that drive, but like what I got up to do this morning that actually moved me. And I, I say this like kind of jokingly, but I tell people in the psych unit, I mean, you know, cordially and try to do it intelligently, but what do you want to do that makes you not want to kill yourself because a lot of them are depressed yeah. and it's like i genuinely asked them and point blank them and nobody has an answer and no one's been asked that by anyone in the the industry so this mm-hmm. morning i got up and i my phone had instagram plastered over it they had a bunch of notifications i threw it aside and i went downstairs to learn how to do the skype call so i could feel like mm-hmm. i was doing something that was actually interesting to me that i want to do that i would produce and made me feel way better than i, I would have if i would have set on my phone so yeah um, but it wasn't like when I started studying psychology initially, like the first few weeks, I was just innately interested in everything. It kind of like as I got more into it and I started planning goals around that interest. it was just a hunch at the time I started getting more interested over time. So I'm just curious. I'm really focused on the meaning. Like you're into dietetics and I have no idea why still. Like, why did you go into just kickbox? I mean, why did the food aspect of kickboxing interest you?
1: Um, Just because I always really understood it and I was fascinated with it. And I always, because I, I always looked at food as a way to feel myself to perform better. And I was like, you know, if I'm feeling myself properly, like it, it just, it felt good. It felt good to know a lot about food, to know a lot more than my teammates too about it and to know how to properly nourish myself in order to, perform the best that I possibly could. Um, do you think that, so? Sorry. Do you think that
0: there was a, um, a problem in your sport that needed to be resolved and learning about diet sort of solved that problem? Like, did you see an issue and that's why you tackled it or it was just, the...
1: yeah. So fighters that I know were just cutting weight in such unhealthy ways, like okay. just, Because they just did not have proper dietary knowledge. They're just like, okay, I'm going to be really unhealthy when I'm not training for a fight. And then when I'm training for a fight, I'm going to starve myself and just, and they just weren't performing well either. And I was like, no, I I do not want to be that. Like, I I want to educate myself to be a better athlete and to be a more mindful athlete of my own body. Like, I don't want to be doing things that are detrimental to my performance just to cut weight and make a certain Mm -hmm. weight class. Well,
0: that makes more sense to me then.
1: Why you initially mm-hmm. got? It.
0: I'm just trying to help anyone who thinks because it's overwhelming. If you if you start overthinking it, you technically believe that you can do anything you want in the world, and I don't think that that's true. But you should sit down, like you said, and write three to five things down that seem generally feasible and like not going to make you want to hate getting up in the morning. And then start aiming no. you up and kind of narrow your possibilities. start aiming?
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying I've never ever been there where i was just not wanting to get out of bed like for sure definitely definitely at the beginning of covid i had trouble just with gyms closing down and schools closing down and just everything closing and being stuck in yeah well they didn't want the household right i right I, i was just like i found it so tough to find any motivation to get out of bed I was just like oh and it was definitely probably a whole two three four month thing um I still was and I still would find some meaning but w- nothing was like cathartic <laughs> until I um I don't know until I started really changing my perspective on a lot of things
0: Okay. Um, and then I'm going to ask you another talking point you had on here is not over simulating yourself. So I think myself included, people are confused with what even simulation is. I am mm-hmm. confused. Is it just any kind of intake of sensory from your senses or
1: thought? Um, that's funny because I was thinking about that last night when I was driving, I was like, okay, I'm focused on the road right now. And I wasn't even listening to music or anything in the car. I was like, I'm very stimulated right now. Um, So when I think of overstimulation, I think Mm -hmm. of it as watching the TV and sitting on your phone or being on your phone and switching from app to app to app to app that I, so, okay. I'm
0: going to look up the definition of simulation.
1: It's an, it's an MD, but I believe that sitting on your phone and going between apps is referred to as like super stimuli. um, And ends up leading to like dopamine surges very similar to if you're just eating a bunch of cookies or something with a bunch of refined sugar in it that's what's happening when you're sitting on your phone and overstimulating yourself so you're experiencing dopamine crashes um and that's why they say that people who do sit on their phone quite often do partake in binge eating behaviors. Yeah.
0: well it's interesting to me that you would if you were It seems like the inverse would be true. Okay. So simulation is the raising levels of uh, physiological or nervous activity in the body or the biological system. Okay. Mm -hmm. So So too much
1: stimulus.
0: So so too much.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean it's physiological, which also goes hand in hand with like neurology and psychology, but okay. Um, So, okay. I feel like there is an appropriate amount of stimulation because if you're overstimulated, typically it makes it very hard to live in the present. You know what I mean? If you're focusing on a thousand things at once, your, your mind is going all over the place and you're not honing your senses enough because your attention is divided everywhere. So you're not honing your senses enough to just sit down and focus on one thing. Honestly, that's why I'm so against Um, studying with music that you like, like any music with words, music that you really like, like it's hard to actually learn.
0: Um, Could you you do just music in the background? Like I do lo-fi, which is like the calming, (laughs) raining
1: music without any words. Yes, yes. I I could do that because I'm not going to actually focus on it. It, If I need to use something to tune out other noise, then I will do that. But I, I guess the best way I could describe it is If you're trying to get drunk on beer, you are not going to pour water into that beer. You know what I mean? If I'm trying to study and learn something, I'm not going to dilute it by adding other things that are going to slow my learning of something. Oh, you know what I mean? You're not trying to slow your drunk by pouring water into beer.
0: So this goes back to the cognition, the interest in cognition. Yeah. You know. So cognition says that you only have a, a certain amount of attention and it's mm-hmm. like a spotlight. And if you want to divert the spotlight, it's going to take attention off of something else that you're trying to learn. Um, so yeah. it's kind of, okay. Cause I was, I was just curious and how does that connect to eating simulation and eating? And how could you use that knowledge to then not overeat when you're not hungry or something like that?
1: Well, when people are overstimulating themselves, their dopamine levels are, like I had referred to earlier, their dopamine levels are surging, they're spiking. Um, And so typically people use food as immediate stimulation and dopamine gratification. And so if you are stimulated, okay, like, for example, people who take Adderall, when they talk about how they have no appetite, well, they're stimulated. You know what I mean? They're producing, they're producing dopamine and norepinephrine. And so they're stimulated that that's, that's why they're not wanting to eat. But if your mind is scattered all over the place, well, you're overstimulated and you are skewing your dopamine levels and up to the point where you're going to try to restore them. So it can affect your hunger cues. So you may think you're hungry when you're really not, you're just overstimulated. Um, And so people use binge eating as a way to stimulate themselves.
0: I have a question then. Is that why, because mm-hmm. when you're drunk, it's, it's lows you down, right? It's a, it's a downer. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it under simulates you out of curiosity? <laughs>
1: so typically when people drink, they don't. I mean, I guess it really depends on the person because some people, when they drink, they're like, oh my God, food tastes better. So they're like Mm -hmm. looking forward to eating. Smoking
0: cigarettes and weed and like all the things that you shouldn't do, you amplify when you're drunk typically. I don't know if it's because you're looking for a stimulation or if it's some other explanation.
1: Well, I haven't looked into it and into that, like into the drinking aspect enough to speak on it. But like, you'll typically notice if people are drinking and whatever they fixate on, They typically, because drinking lowers your um, inhibitions. And so you're kind of just doing whatever. So some people say whatever they want, or they'll hook up with whoever they want, Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, Because typically people describe lack of sobriety as why they're not getting certain goals accomplished, like smoking cessation. So if they fixate on that, um, on something like smoking, well, when they get drunk, they're probably going to smoke. If you fixate on eating and you're constantly thinking about, okay, well, I shouldn't overeat. I don't want to overeat. Well, typically when you drink, you'll probably do that because you're lowering, lowering your inhibitions. Okay. You want to do codependency? Uh, yeah,
0: we could. Okay. So my whole thing, if I'm understanding this correctly, because I i don't know if I'm, I get the term correctly, but um, when people get in a relationship and it becomes unhealthy, one of them is too dependent on the other one. And then they lose sight of their own. Future, their own ideal for the person they're dating at an unhealthy level. Is that kind of what you mean by codependency?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Or even when they're not in a relationship, like they make getting into a relationship their goal.
0: Okay. And now here's the devil's advocate wouldn't that mm-hmm. be just having some kind of outcome dependency? Yes,
1: yes. I I was (laughs) leading to that. What is wrong?
0: What is wrong with people having goals? Like, I want to date you. What's wrong with me saying that and then expressing that? And if you don't date me, then it's fine. I don't need to talk to you anymore. Is that just me being cynical and hard-headed?
1: Well, that means you're not outcome dependent. Like, yeah, you'd prefer it if you guys dated, but it's not gonna crush you if you don't. You know what I mean? Your world isn't gonna stop and it's not gonna inhibit your goals or anything. Okay. Like, because people are so outcome-dependent, when that certain outcome does not come to fruition, they are so disappointed and distraught that it ends up affecting their day-to-day, you know?
0: Well, that's just being weak-minded. It's just because you have a... Okay, when you aim... No, because when you have a goal and you aim at something, Mm -hmm. 95% chance you might achieve it, but even if you do, it's not going to end up how you expected it to. So it's Mm -hmm. like, if you can't handle reality telling you that your expectations were incorrect, then I think you're a weak person and you're misguided in what you're aiming at. Um,
1: yeah. So, just putting too much weight on certain
0: yeah. things. Like just deal with it, that it isn't what you expected or wanted, but that's what the universe gave you and you're going to go with it. Um, yeah. So, okay. Well, I was that, avoid- okay. So, so yeah, yeah. does
1: that mean, are you mm-hmm. admitting that you are hopeful and not outcome dependent? Because that's what I gauge from you. I feel like I am hopeful, but not outcome dependent.
0: So I just I am hopeful, but I the whole thing. My philosophy on life is that you need to set very clearly defined goals and you aim at them, and mm-hmm. you're not going to hit the target most likely that you're aiming at exactly how you want to. And sometimes you have to readjust yeah. and forget altogether, but that doesn't mean you don't aim at it. So that's the whole thing. Is yeah. I am I am dependent on I guess I'm not dependent on an outcome, but yes. I'm going to act as if I'm dependent on the outcome, or I'm not going to be serious enough for the goal to actually aim at it.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well then that means you're not outcome dependent. Like you have preferred outcomes Mm -hmm. and you use the hope of achieving that to drive you. But if it does not happen, it is not going to absolutely crush you. You're going to move on. You're dynamic enough to move on and make the best of it. Yeah. So I
0: get it and I agree with you, but mark my words, this is a psychology term that I, Bet in the next five years we're gonna see you with a bunch of Gen Zers that are just gonna use it to not take responsibility in their life. That is my assumption, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick firm <laughs> to it. Really? Mm-hmm. Um okay. So this is a topic that I have wanted to talk about my whole life, and you brought it up, but I'm like, oh god, that'd be a good topic. But I okay, I was okay. gonna save it because I thought we'd just do a whole episode uh, other than this one on it. But I want to talk about the unhealthiness of the gay community. Okay. Uh-huh. So I'm just gonna give you a quick backstory. I don't know if I've done this on the podcast. Uh Okay. I am slightly leaning conservative, not even politically. I'm more like conscientious. I'm conservative. I don't like I am I am a little bit conservative um politically. So I've always been totally shot down in the gay community for expressing any kind of viewpoint or even just questioning anything that isn't far left and stupid mm-hmm. or all about instant gratification. So yeah. that's my, my history of the gay community has always been extremely disappointing. And um just they're just like a horrible it's like Sodom and Gomorrah from the Bible. It really is like that. Like, not the gay sex the part of it, but, like, the instant gratification and live my life like I'm young and selfish and every bad part of humanity ever is, is seen in that community, in my
1: part opinion. So are you talking about, like, the circuit gay side of... Okay, I, so
0: first, yeah. So first you have to explain what a circuit gay is to anyone who
1: doesn't know. <laughs> well, okay. Circuit gays are what you are what straight people view the stereotypical gay as Um, somebody who, yeah, like Molly and orgies and posting a lot of shirtless pictures on social media and speedos and all of that. Um, Granted I do, I I feel like that is such a small percentage of the gay community. It's the one that gets the most attention. So Mm -hmm. it is very like if you draw parallels between circuit gays and, the news, for example, like the news will, even though two or three percent of the world is not so great, well, that's about ninety nine percent of what the news mm-hmm. portrays. So well, sure. it's always, always a loud majority or minority that gets attention. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so if you are always watching the news, then you believe that ninety nine percent of the world is bad. You know, um, but yes, no circuit gays are definitely the ones who um, they they are typically that group. Um, yeah, so
0: I live in Spain for a year in Barcelona and I went to if anyone doesn't know again circuit we're saying circuit because it's like a big party they circuit parties are like the horrible electronic music with I just cannot stand it they'll play the same song for like 15 hours on repeat the whole time and all these gays are like almost naked and dancing like crazy. And I'm like, how do you, anyways, I went to the two week circuit party with my friend, Mitch in Barcelona and oh my God, it just, it brought out everything I hated about humanity more than I've ever had to suffer it for that long. It was just God
1: awful. Um, what were things that you really didn't like? Like if you could okay. pinpoint maybe like an over, like an overarching theme it's or like something all like the-
0: that. Um was everywhere taking excess of drugs and drinking, just drowning out your consciousness. Um, There was not one person I had a conversation with. that wasn't, I don't even know what I talked about. Nothing. It's no, no, anything but surface level bullshit. Um, Just like making out everywhere. People were like practically naked. It's sweaty. The music is too loud. Like um, just everything bad that you would, that you would not want to be around as a, a responsible adult or even like a mature human being was there. Cattiness. Yeah um they're like they're rude i don't mean this i don't mean to generalize everyone because obviously this isn't true to generalize people but in general Mm -hmm. i guess does that make sense gays Uh -uh. seem really really rude and just like lack of respect and courtesy for other people they're pretty much like Mm -hmm. fuck you i'm gonna be in my underwear i'm gonna be loud and be rude to the staff if they don't give me what i want how i want it and that's just how i am that's how i see circuit gays and it's just like nothing desirable about a human being i want to be around um, yeah, I'm trying not to bash them too bad because there's people I know that are that are at those parties and stuff that I that I like and look at people. But in general, I guess we're going with the stereotype. So, um, yeah, what do you see that you dislike? What do you see that possibly you do like about that that environment?
1: Um, I will definitely agree with the superficiality, and I honestly mm-hmm. have friends who I would categorize as circuit gaze. and the thing is, a lot of them have. I feel like there's. St- stuck in these identity crises. So I, they, I have of, they have a lot of extrinsic goals. Um, they have a lot of goals based on what they see on social media. And mm-hmm. a lot of their goals are derived from certain narcissistic tendencies. Sure. Um, and not very many of them have the ability to retract their ego. Um, and that's that's the dangerous thing about people who are really out to fuel their own ego. Because if you're fueling your own ego, you typically are taking away from an environment because you're gonna do anything to protect your ego. And that that is what circuit gay culture does. It exacerbates the ego um, because narcissism is exalted. It's like, you have all of these 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old girls who are like, yes, queen, like fag hats mm-hmm. who were, um, pushing that and then you have other circuit gays who aren't calling anybody else out on that and it really is um groups of people who were going through the same identity crises who were not holding each other accountable and in the end like they're really not growing because at least in my experience and you touched upon this when i have kind of been to certain gay parties obviously at a party you don't have to sit and talk about all of the finer things in life and you don't right. have to get incred- incredibly deep. But when the only thing people are talking about is people, it sometimes feels like when you've met two or three of them at the party, you've almost met all of them because a lot of them just start talking about the same general concepts, except it just might be a different person this time or okay. a different drug or something that doesn't have a lot of substance
0: that is that is it it's there's no substance it's literally what party are you going to tomorrow and how much tomorrow are you on right now do you want to take a shot Yeah. Like, it's like so nauseatingly unattractive to me that whole environment yeah. um yeah. and i hate to be like that because i've had i've had fun like even music i've mm-hmm. been to plenty of music festivals um where it seems like the focus is pretty drug heavy but even there it's just something about the gay community together you're right it's like ego central and um maybe we should talk about the ego for a second so people can get a better understanding because like Up until what, a year or two ago? I didn't, I heard the term ego. I'm like, I don't really know what that is. So um, Mm -hmm. you want to explain what an ego is? You can go like Jungian or Freudian. Oh,
1: gosh. I know what you to do it. (laughs) Okay. How would I even define the ego? I think the ego is the culmination of your values, which forms your identity. So... Um, the core traits that you possess that you use as your identity. Um, they, oh, I, I, I guess that might be the best way I can explain it because the ego yeah. is just so, there's so much to it and it's so big yet so definitive, but not definitive at that's all. That's the thing. Like,
0: that's the thing is I can use the word so comfortably, but then when people explain how to use the word, I'm like, oh shit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would say it's like technically we're talking like. Freud and Jung. It's like the conscious part of yourself. You're right. The, I, the ID. Um, mm-hmm. Identity. Um, yeah. is, he, is it called the id or is it just called the ego? It is called the ego with Freud, right?
1: Well, there's like id, ego, superego. But like, right. you know, Whatever. like your id I'm, is your animalistic side almost. Just living on the drives, Id, just yeah. your yeah, yeah, the
0: yeah. Unconscious self that has all these needs that are, okay, that drive you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question what can you, cause this has plagued me for a long time. This is part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast. I don't know. I don't think I showed you the logo, but it's got the rainbow flag in it. I want to be a part of the gay community. I've always wanted to be a part of the gay community, but it's whenever I talk about anything or try to be there, I'm like a stick in the mud and I hate it because I'm not like that. Like I can go and have a great time. I'm funny. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Yeah. But like the fact that there's nothing more than just doing that makes me resentful to be there and I'm bitter and I'm like, I shouldn't be like that. But what can be done to actually make it attractive to the other 90% of gays that, or maybe they just don't want to be a part of it at all. And that, that appears to me what it is. I mean, even pride, they're like making pride. So promu, primis- how do you say this? Promiscuous? Promiscuous. Thank you. They are like, they want to do like underwear and shit and put, you know, drag queens up on stilts and their boobs are out and shit. And it's like, yeah. that shouldn't be what it's about. It should be, we're embracing that we can all be who we want to be. Not that we're all just immature children. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, so that is the tough thing when it comes to circuit gays and the ego. Um, Cause if you call certain gays who fall under those stigmas, if you, and I'm not even going to say call them out, but if you have a discussion with them about yeah. things like that, they get very defensive and yeah, that, you can't that, call that's them why, yeah. Well, and that's what happens when you're trying to protect your ego at mm-hmm. all costs. Um, you're trying to be better than those around you. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if your ego is always out and you're always ego fronting, then you are going to try to be right as opposed to being progressive mm-hmm. and learning. You know, or just yes, having a exactly. Dependent. Yeah. Yeah. So, because we- somebody who is narcissistic and has their ego out all the time, who has, who wears their ego on their sleeve they're always going to want to be right. You know what I mean? They're they're not going to try to learn more. They're not going to admit to their wrongdoings. They feel better if they're being placed on a pedestal for being correct. And that's why a lot of them surround themselves with yes men um, mm-hmm. and people who will not call them out because it's comfortable for them. It uh, perpetuates the growth of their ego instead of the growth of their individuality or the growth of them as a person.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what that's what I find too in the gay community. And I hate to be like, bitter about it but i don't even i don't care because i think that we're all adults and we should act more intelligently but i think that's also why the suicide rate like i'd like to see the suicide rate in the gay community go down but i'm not surprised in any way shape or form that it's high i'm not surprised depression rates are high um Mm -hmm. you know when you're living your life on that low of a vibration why you have nothing no reason to be happy other than just instant gratification (laughs) you're not doing anything that's worth being happy about or fulfilled And I don't want to say you should aim at happiness because you shouldn't, but if you're doing meaningful things and having deep conversations and trying to grow as a person, then happiness is a Mm byproduct of things like that.
1: No, for sure. And I I think that people differentiating happiness from joy because back to um, like people in the gay community, I think so many people mix joy with happiness where happiness is a state that you're in. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm a very happy person. Am I feeling joyful all the time? No, I'm not. But I'm always a happy person. Um, Where a lot of people who are just looking for the next best thing, which really is pushed in the gay community, they're always just looking for joy instead of happiness. And when your goals are always extrinsic based on, Um, the attention you can get or something that just fuels your ego, then you're always just going to be looking for joy instead of a state of happiness. Because a state of happiness is not something that one, you know how to find. um, And two is something that you're not comfortable with (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's foreign. It's foreign. It's foreign to a lot of people. So
0: why do you think the gay community got to the point where it is today? I'm like, I'm ashamed to be a part of it, to be honest with you. It's like, And then they've gotten very, Um, very political as well. It's like, it's just ironic to me that they're ego shaming everyone else. And now they're political. Like they should be on some kind of moral high ground.
1: (laughs) Who? Okay. So I believe the gay community.
0: Is it just because they're guys and they like to have sex more? That's a lame excuse though. You know?
1: No. Attention. The attention that you get for being polarizing Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I may be somebody who's in the minority that believes that being polarizing isn't always good. Like I said, my, my moral code for my life is to keep growing and to foster an environment for mm-hmm. other people. So you to want to grow. polarize
0: yeah, when it's necessary, you know, when you think it's, when you're coming from the right intention.
1: Yes. Um, and I think that if people are not. One, if you're not growing yourself, you're not going to be helping other people grow because you're, you're not going to be aiding in something that is growth worthy. And that is a psychological
0: Um, truism for anyone listening. Uh, You have to be growing or you you won't be benefiting anybody else.
1: Exactly. Because like, if my goal is to help everybody else grow, but I'm not growing, then that means that I'm probably actively pushing the idea of growth on people without knowing how to do it myself. We call that
0: woke culture and virtue shaming is what I would describe mm -hmm. as those things.
1: And hypocrisy and lack of accountability Mm -hmm. and yeah. And I really do think that... I'm just kidding. Well, well, um, no, but I do think that the attention that a lot of gays get from being polarizing they, they do that does fuel somebody's ego
0: i think it's the the lack of any kind of um spirituality in an actual profound manner too because what do you mm-hmm. aim for when you have no you know i meet a lot of atheist gays and a lot of gays who've never ever thought about spirituality so that's where they're going to seek their they seek their meaning is through the most physical way you can get meaning is i guess attention and other people's attention and instagram gratification mm-hmm. like that that's my opinion on it
1: so I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I definitely think I'm spiritual. I grew up a uh, non non-nominational Christian and so <laughs> do you believe that there's a,
0: some kind of higher force or primordial soup or uh, spiritual whatever 20 gods like do you believe there's higher power that something is above us or when we die or we're part of God? something
1: I I do, because I do ask myself, I'm like, why do I encompass the body that I encompass? Like, why am I seeing and experiencing the things that I experience? And then when I think of, like, spirituality versus religion, I feel like spirituality, um, it's vague. It is vague. But I feel like overall spirituality aids in growth. It connects people instead of dividing them. And where religion, I feel like, belongs on just one plane. And it's kind of like following a road where it just... Kind of comes to an end, you know. Spirituality allows you to grow this way and that way and that way and that way, and not just on this one road, pushing um one narrative and one message and one meeting and one goal. It is vague enough <laughs> to the point where it you can grow in so many dimensions, you know. Yeah, I am a big believer that um, the Bible has so much to teach us from any any mm-hmm. kind of stories and
0: mythology like that. So. I'm still trying to figure it out. I do believe there's a higher power. I don't know if I would call it exactly the Bible and Christianity. I don't like the term spirituality because I think again, woke people use it as a, to take a backseat from actually having to answer the question in my opinion, not that you're doing that, but um, it's like some kind of mix between Christianity and like, I've been studying Jewish mysticism and the tree of life and like how to get to higher planes of consciousness and like, my friend Sarah has a podcast and she calls it the primordial soup. It's like, we're all part because we're made in God's image. So, but anyways, I've done a significant amount of thinking and research on this. And I don't think that a lot of gays have put any foresight into anything other than the instant gratification that they're experiencing in the here and now. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in that case, I think it's bad to try to be mindful. It's too mindful. That's why I'm so focused on goal planning and thinking critically and having these conversations. And I don't mean we have to have them at a fucking circuit party where the music's blasting around yeah. a pool like that's not what i want and i don't want anyone to think that because that's unreasonable but there's never the potential for it i never have met anyone at those parties that i want to take home and talk to or or honestly even have sex with because it's so unattractive just i've just always seen the worst in the gay community um with oh, that said no. i love drag queens um some of the music's <laughs> okay like i like being around it occasionally but as i get older i'm like man it's kind of getting boring and i see on instagram it's so unattractive when it's like 38 year olds literally doing the same shit at a circuit party that 21 year olds are doing in the exact same fashion with no you know they should be role models there are no role models in the gay community um in my opinion there's i actually don't i don't think uh, obviously there are but like in general who do they who do who do they look up to you know
1: the drag Um, queens someone who just won an olympic gold medal tom daly he okay. I, I feel I feel like he's definitely a good role model. But yeah, I go no, right into, that, I go right into they that are... Oh doing. no, who's the who's the deaf one? Um who was on was he America's next top model or I don't know. What was that Nile niles not, not Warren? No. I, I hear I hear a lot about no. him. I guess I don't keep up with people enough. So I don't know. Um I think I it's almost our jobs then, as gays, to, to be break the gays? that cycle. Do you want to be the gay man of this, this gay train? Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, not
0: not the kind of train most think of,
1: but yes. Um, <laughs> I just want to.
0: I just want to see good influences in the gay community stand up with their clothes on and say, um, "Hey, life is more important than the instant shit that you're doing, and you can have a really awesome, happy, fulfilled life that's meaningful to you, and you can help other people um, if you choose." Mm-hmm maybe not to party every single weekend and have promiscuity, have abundant amount of sex and
1: it's just uh, always- and it's just like people use their s- use sex as bargaining power. That that's something I wanted to touch upon in the gay community sometimes. Like really using yeah, using sex as and I, I'm not gonna shame promiscuity. Like I guess that's somebody's prerogative but um I'm not either. I'm when not trying to. When it, when, it, when it becomes your identity and it does become it. the way that you, the only way that you feel powerful, like, we that's all age. We, unless we die young, we all age and mm-hmm. beauty fades. And it's like, if you are using your physicality or how attractive you are as your identifying trait, then you're in for a rude awakening when you hit 40 or 50 or 55. And Uh it it really is just prolonging the horrible midlife crisis that they're going to (laughs) have.
0: And this is the thing too. I think I catch myself feeling that way and almost slap myself on the wrist for being like, wow, I'm resentful in that, in that regards, look at people that are doing that. And I feel resent. And I'm like, that's not a good emotion. You should never feel resent and make decisions off of that. So do you feel that way? Like when you just said that, um, they're in for a rude awakening. I, I don't mean for it to come from resent from my heart, but I'm like, uh, almost like, ha, you shouldn't live like that. I know better. And I'm like, I don't want to think like that. I genuinely think that all life is valuable and I should no. be able to f- foster people's growth in a positive way, not tell them I'm ready no
1: no it honestly kind of makes me feel a little sad for them um so, but that's that
0: to me seems like like if you're almost empathetic sympathetic yeah, I, so I know i'm just trying to avoid like i'm not trying to feel arrogant or totally shame that community yeah. i'm just a very disappointed person with what i see and i'd like to see it get better so i'm trying yeah. to making any kind of goals to improve that that mm-hmm. environment that come from any negative feelings in a bad way that, that are harbored yeah feelings.
1: I was, mean, and it goes hand, hand in hand with if people don't want to change, if that is their thing, then they can allow it to be their thing. But I do, I wish that, because I do think that the gay community gets a, because they are, gays really are so exalted now to the point oh, where they no, like, actually. Go ahead, go ahead. Like toxicity really is dismiss like the Mm -hmm. underlying racism and the narcissism and just there there are so many things that are dismissed because people like it's mainly straight girls exalt straight or bisexual girls that Mm -hmm. just exalt all of these toxic gays and toxic traits and it ends up just exacerbating it and making more gays catch the trend and Positive feedback. loop, pretty much. It. Yes. And it's just, it just gets bigger and bigger. I'm like, ah, stop. Okay. Stop encouraging these toxic behaviors.
0: So I personally believe that identity politics had a lot to do with that too. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything, any knowledge about that?
1: Not really.
0: Okay. So pretty much you pick a category of people and then you allow them special privileges because they're in that category or you shame, oh. you know, it's the opposite. It's true. Um, but you see that and now you see it Honestly, with a subset of the gay cate- category, I don't know if it's the same or in the community. I don't know what's in the community anymore. There's a lot of uh, alphabet letters attached to the LGBT thing, but with transgender mm-hmm. now, too, I think that a lot of those values are getting... There's a lot of bad values being taught in the transgender community that are also being overlooked. And okay. I don't think that's good. So, like, like,
1: what, like what kind of traits?
0: Uh, like, I think that they're trying to do a lot of surgeries too early. I think that there's a lot of people who are unsure about their identity and they're being mm-hmm. manipulated into thinking they're transgender. That's just my personal view. And I, I totally am for transgender people that are transgender mm-hmm. and they know it and that going and make them feel better their whole life. But I just think that um, being transgender is such a trendy thing right now. And it's being, like you said, exalted with the gay community and they're being allowed to do things that probably aren't very good to be doing or pushing. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, when people who are like 19 and 20, when they are transitioning, like it's I'll like let's try like
0: 14 or 12 even. That's I think the earliest oh gosh. surgery was Yeah, 16, I think was the earliest surgery. It might have been younger than that for the breast removal.
1: Yeah, and like because like okay, because I, I can't speak enough on that because I never had to grow up um feeling as though I was not comfortable being and identifying as a male. I, I, okay. I never. So I think
0: way. you're giving too little credit to the similarity between having to not come out of the closet until a certain age. I mean, it's, it's still, you're, you're confused. I would assume psychologically, there's a lot of this similar um, issues that you
1: have to go through. That's my so I was going to touch upon like sexuality though. Like I, I can't, Like, I knew I wasn't straight from a Mm -hmm. younger age, but I could not definitively tell you that I was gay until I, like, actually acted upon it and, like, experimented with other things. Like, I could not tell you definitively until I had my first kiss when I was eight. Like, couldn't tell you 100% for sure that I was gay. And so, and I guess I also maybe kind of view it like a tattoo as well. Like, it's something that... On, I mean, on a larger scale, but something you will have to live with for the rest of your life. And when you are in those psychological stages of so much change that's going on, you know what I mean? Your brain is yeah. fully developed. Like, yeah, no, I, I I do. And also too, yeah, social media really does push the age back on that. Um, and may, because you probably have read stories of people transitioning and regretting it because you yeah. don't, because there's so much that goes into it, like hormonally, how much it changes you and just everything that goes into it. And just people who transition regret it. Like that breaks my heart because it's so irreversible at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, and it makes me feel like psycho or societally, we should be responsible for not exalting certain things that are going to harm people in the future. Um, yeah. I don't know. I was curious and it kind of goes along with the gay thing. So mm-hmm. like, I jokingly say this, but I'm almost half-hearted serious. I have a lot of pictures of me in wigs and dressed as women because I just have a lot of wigs and I always dress up as women for Halloween. I'm like not the gay that goes out and puts on a Speedo and I'm like Winifred Sanderson or <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. I'm like half-heartedly thinking about applying for my college doctorate program is transgender and just putting those pictures and like going with it because I, I think I'll have a higher chance of getting in. It's like they've had affirmative action transgender, <laughs> transgender. And I know it's totally politically incorrect, but I'm joking. Again, right. Again, someone who's transgender, I think they should have the right to be themselves and be happy. But yeah. I don't think that society should be benefiting people for saying I'm transgender. And that's what's happening. And I think that's why we're seeing. It's so, it's so like completely uh, irresponsible of, of us to be pushing young kids to feel like they're not who they are in, in their sex or at least confuse them. I've four or five-year-olds, uh, not that young, I'd say six or seven-year-olds who are coming in saying they're transgender in the psych unit, that is that is not okay. appropriate. So that's what I mean. Yeah. And, happening and you're seeing, you know, any time that a push like this happens or a girl who might not actually feel like a boy, but maybe she's kind of wants to, can get more attention. Again, the same thing the gays want in mm-hmm. the most basic of a sense for saying there are something they aren't, that shouldn't be exalted and it shouldn't be, like we're teaching pronouns now, like fine. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be like every single four and five year old in, in elementary school has to learn the correct pronouns when they're trying to develop the very basics of what actually makes a man and a woman, a man and a woman. You know, it's confusing.
1: Yeah, well, and you know what? I actually, it's been a hot second, but I have read things on, um, okay. It, it had to do with like, codependency and being transgender and it was a girl um or um transgender girl so she i believe she transitioned when she was 21 or 22 but she said that she ended up really like digging into her own psyche and at 25 realized that she didn't really want to transition she was just a victim of horrible, insecure attachment style. And um, I, I, I'm i going to word it wrong, but she wanted to be what she thought guys wanted her to be because she was, when she was a male, was attracted to straight men. Okay. Um, because they were unattainable. They wouldn't Give her attention and things of that sort. So she transitioned to, um, out of her own insecure attachment style and codependency, and then became more comfortable in who she was and was like, "Fuck, <laughs> I yeah. only wanted to be a girl to be what I thought guys wanted me to be, instead mm-hmm. of what I wanted to be."
0: And this is the thing I see too. In you know, play around with your sexual identity if you want and your gender mm-hmm. and if you want to use different pronouns and all that, but you, people yeah. don't realize, you know, going through the hormones and the surgery, that's, that's permanent. So I think it's yeah. highly irresponsible that anybody's even, I don't think these people are saying to, be, to begin with that are teaching all these young kids that they should question their, their sexual gender. That's mm-hmm. very inappropriate, but, um, maybe you should go to a psychologist first, or maybe you should do a little bit of shadow work and sit down and think about things before you just assume that your problem is something as simple as I'm the wrong sex. Not Mm -hmm. that that's simple, but you know, the mind doesn't work how you expect it to. It's not for the easy answer that you're looking for. It's the uncomfortable things you're avoiding, you know, say that you're a different sex and get a lot of positive attention from it, from your teachers at school and your other kids. And that's Mm -hmm. make, you know, that brings positive emotion in your life. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that the, is going to go away that you should have dealt with. Not that kids can deal with that kind of stuff anyways. I understand that. But that's exactly why my logic is that they shouldn't be being taught that to begin with. If they're not sound enough of mind or developed enough to understand those principles, then why are we confusing them when they're so young? And why are we Mm -hmm. allowing 14-year-old girls to chop their boobs off? It's totally irresponsible to me without any psych exam. I think, what is it called now? Where doctors have to do, it's like agreeing care. They're not allowed to actually question the patient on what they think uh i forgot what it's called i'll think of it later autonomy is it autonomy no 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 um is that it i thought you said anatomy um mm, i don't know where the patient comes in and says i want to be i'm a girl and the doctor is not allowed to question them on that they have to go along with it and say well let's figure out how to transition you is that what it's called
1: autonomy well it's just like the patient's right to govern themselves in a sense and make decisions for themselves.
0: Well, what a shitty doctor would allow that to happen. I think that's a horrible philosophy. You should, okay. You should be respectful of the patient and have conversations like this with them where you could agree or disagree, but as a medical professional or a mental health professional, your whole job is to help them find out what's going on, not to disagree with them blindly. Then you might as well not be in the mental health field at all or a doctor. But if you no, know okay. every time a woman or a man came into your office, whatever they were, gender wise, and said so they have a headache, you know, it mm-hmm. must be this. You disagree with them. No, you run tests because you know better. So yeah, I'm just, know. I'm just frustrated with the whole transgender debate. Again, I'm not anti-transgender whatsoever in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Right? So I want people to be happy with who they are and how they feel. But I just think that, that it, we went about it in an entirely wrong way. And I don't think we should be giving positive rewards for like, I it asks you your gender and your pronouns now for al- applications in college. Mm-hmm. That makes a difference in if you're going to
1: get it or not. That is completely irrelevant in my opinion but well i i mean i guess i haven't done enough research on it to so, okay sorry i didn't mean to get on the tangent i just thought if you, no, you know no the gay, no no the gay community no can. i i really haven't done enough And, in all honesty i really only probably know four people four, five people who are transgender so a lot uh, though it, that's
0: a, a lot, lot because yeah, three years ago um, you wouldn't have known any
1: yeah but none are like my close friends like a lot is they're honestly like friend of a friend or somebody a couple so, people I went to high school with so that's a lot
0: that's higher than suicide rate.
1: yeah so it definitely is something I should look into more um I, I need to educate myself more on it um before I actually speak on it uh, sorry I didn't mean to throw you under the, under the bus no no not at all I just know that I don't have an like I probably have more knowledge about it than most people, but not enough to actually have a definitive okay. opinion on it. Um, but yeah, I'm all for self expression and sure. me too. Um, I don't want to spread any hate. That's not what I. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. So we're going to kind of wrap up. It's been about an hour and a half. This has been lovely. Um, uh, I actually didn't get through all the stuff I want to talk to you about, but we can always do another podcast. So, of um, course. So again, this podcast is just designed to help people find some kind of direction in their life, um, yeah. Or if they're, you know, indecisive or lost, or if they're depressed or nihilistic about anything, I just literally want to show them there there are things you can do in life to help you make your your picture a little clearer and you know design a life that you want. So, do you have any advice for people listening to this podcast? I assume there's a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people out there that are just lost and and they become depressed and and nihilistic because of it.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, just to pull anything from this podcast, I would just say, identify your passions, know what they are. How would you do that? Um, List things that you find yourself thinking about and researching in your free time, things that you actually want to know more about, not what you see on social media that everybody's doing right now that you're like, yeah, I should learn about that for social Mm -hmm. merit. No, things that actually, things that actually make, you happy to learn about. And then when you are learning about it, don't overstimulate yourself. Don't be on your phone the whole time while you're doing it or switching through apps. Make sure that you set aside time to focus on that, preferably in the morning, right when you get up, right after you're well-rested, um, because it'll set the foundation for your day. Because if you're starting your day off with something that makes you not want to kill yourself, then the likelihood of you killing yourself that day We'll probably go down just a little
0: bit. Thanks. TM, we're gonna trademark that that
1: expression. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, awesome. That was that was really good advice. So this has been really nice. Thank you for getting weirdly psychological with
1: me today. <laughs> uh Andrew, no, thank you so much for having me. We met only a few days ago, but this conversation so is just drawing us closer. Yeah. Thank you. This is lovely.